Welcome to the Living by Faith podcast. My name is Josh DeGroat. This is episode number 14. Thanks so much for checking it out. This is a podcast where I take a look at some news and events, theology and history from the perspective of the Christian's life of faith in Christ. Let's go ahead and jump in. With the presidential election coming in less than three months, it's a good time to think presidential politics. And when thinking presidential politics, in the modern era at least, that means we think almost exclusively about two major parties and their candidates. One of the really interesting things this time around to note is the sharp leftward lurch of the Democratic Party. Now, to be fair, it was to be expected that during the primary process, the Democrats would appeal to their base on the left side of the political spectrum, though I would say it was surprising just how far left they went during the primaries as well. But then, once Biden was the clear nominee for the Democrats and the sights were set on the general election, I think it was assumed that that Biden would go more toward the center, but that has not happened at all. And this is even being admitted by big names on the political left. Bernie Sanders, in a speech for the Democratic National Convention just last night on August 18th, said, quote, Many of the ideas we fought for that just a few years ago were considered radical are now mainstream. And he's exactly right. But let's not forget who Bernie Sanders is. Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. So he's talking about his ideas that he's fought for that just a few years ago were radical are now mainstream. Bernie Sanders. Again, Bernie Sanders, the one who the, the man who took a 10-day honeymoon to the Soviet Union with his newly married wife in 1988. And this trip to the to the USSR lar- has largely shaped his views. He came back praising the communistic system of the USSR. So you have Bernie Sanders doing a not so veiled celebration dance about dance about how his radical ideas are now mainstream. But then you also have the former president, Barack Obama, recently claiming that Joe Biden's platform is, quote, the most most progressive of any major party nominee in history. So what issues are we talking about that the Democratic Party is lurching so far to the left regarding? Well, let me just name a few. One is the issue of abortion. The Democratic Party has a stance on abortion that can be summed up this way, abortion on demand for any reason or no reason at all. Now, of course, that's not the way that they would put it, but they don't want restrictions for abortion for any reason. And they also want taxpayer-funded abortions. They want, they want you and I as taxpayers to pay for abortions. Biden, who, uh, with the vast majority of Republican and Democratic members of Congress, has supported the Hyde Amendment for decades. The Hyde Amendment forbids federal funds from being used to fund abortion. And that was until recently. Biden has now changed his mind and now denounces the Hyde Amendment. He says that it puts undue restrictions upon women seeking uh, reproductive health care, which is bogus. But what about economic policies? Well, that's another set of policies that Biden and the Democratic Party seems to veer seems to have veered far to the left in, in what can only be described as a more socialistic wealth redistribution set of policies from free college, student loan forgiveness, huge increases in welfare policies, and so forth. What about the issue of climate change? Well, on this issue, too, he, uh, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party has fallen in line with the far, far left. 
adopting their language of climate change as an existential threat. In fact, you hear that that phrase, phrase over and over and over again. Climate change is the existential threat of our time. And there's no room for debate. If, if you disagree, then you are a climate denier or science denier or something like that. Well, if Joe Biden and the Democratic Party platform takes the advice of uh, New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the policies of her New Green Deal, it will cost somewhere in the ballpark of 51 to $93 trillion over the next 10 years. That's right, 51 to $93 trillion, which is just insane. Furthermore, Biden is completely sold out with, to the sexual revolution. He's totally on board, even declaring LGBTQ plus rights as a civil rights movement. And on the issue of religious freedom, we can't, re, we can't forget this. In particular, as Christians, the, the freedom for us to worship and practice our faith publicly. Make no mistake, a Joe Biden president in this present cultural moment presents us with serious challenges. So it's important that we understand what is at stake. Our society is incredibly polarized right now, and it shows no more clearly than in the world of politics. Politics and voting, without question, is an important part of our lives, but they are not ultimate parts of our lives. Our ultimate hope is not in politics. It's not in a particular party or a presidential candidate or uh, Supreme Court justices or anything like that. Our ultimate hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is reigning at the Father's right hand. And as the Apostle Paul says, he is reigning until every enemy is put under his feet. So Jesus Christ is not sitting idly by. He is reigning, he is ruling, and he's putting enemies under his feet. And every Christian that understands that and knows that ought to be able to say a hearty amen. We need to have that confidence right now. So as faithful Christians, with this upcoming presidential election coming up, we engage and we vote with our eyes wide open. We understand what we need to understand what's going on. We need to understand what is at stake. We need to be faithful Christians as we engage with the world, as we engage with the world of politics, as we go into the voting booth. We also need to speak the truth in love which is what I seek to do with this podcast. I want Christians to understand, fully understand what is at stake, what's going on in the world, in the world at large and in the society in which we live. We, pray with, we also pray with our souls lifted to heaven. But we also, and this is the thing that, that can be missing sometimes, we trust in the providential goodness and wisdom of God whose purposes will not fail. We can have confidence in that Jesus is on the throne. Enemies are being put under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be put under his feet is the enemy of death. So we can have confidence that Christ is working, he is moving, and his purposes will not fail. The next section is what I call the catechesis section. For centuries, Christians gave themselves to the practice of learning the doctrines, the truths of the Christian faith by way of a catechism. Churches would do this, families would do this, parents would, would do this with their children. A catechesis simply means to teach orally or instruct by word of mouth. And so a catechism consisted, typically consisted of questions and answers with biblical texts that went with each question and answer. I think this practice is sorely missing in our day. I think it's seen in, in, in just the, um, the, the biblical illiteracy that is rampant in the church right now, and I think we would benefit tremendously by taking it up again. 
And so I want to do my part to promote the practice of catechesis. What I'm doing is I'm making my way through a new modern catechism called the New City Catechism, which has 52 questions and answers with a scripture for each one. So we're going to take one a week and we'll get through it in about a year. So, um, oh, yeah, one more thing. You can download the app for free on your phone, and I would strongly encourage you to do it. So today we're going to cover question and answer number 14. And the question is this, did God create us unable to keep his law? Answer, no. But because of the, the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation has fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature, and unable to keep God's law. When you go through the creation account, one of the clear affirmations is that God created everything good. After each of the days of creation, it says God looked at what he created and said it is good. Then, after making man in his own image, male and female, on the sixth day, it says that God looked, looked at what he had done and says, behold, it was very good. God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, good, upright, holy, and capable of serving and obeying him. But Adam and Eve did not continue long in that innocent state. When given the choice of choosing to listen to and trust the words of God, the God who made them and loved them, or to rebel and listen to the serpent, they chose the latter. And the effects were absolutely catastrophic. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, fell uh, from a state of innocence into a state of guilt, corruption, and ultimately ruin. And all of humanity after them was plunged into the same guilt, depravity, and sin. This is what theologians call the doctrine of original sin. And we see its effects all around us every day without doubt, without a doubt. It was the early 20th century author and philosopher G.K. Chesterton who said that we have, we have thousands of years of empirical evidence to back up the doctrine of original sin. And of course, he's exactly right. When you look at the history of the world, the sinful actions of men loom large. But here's an important point. Original sin does not just affect our actions. It doesn't just affect the things that we do. It goes much deeper than that. And it's the actions, the sinful actions that come from the sin deep within. Sin has infected us through and through. It has corrupted us to the core. As Jesus, as Jesus put it in John chapter 3, men love the darkness rather than the light. This shows the depth of the corruption. It is lodged deep within. It goes down to the core of our being, to the things that we love and the things that we hate. We naturally, when we're born, we're born with a sinful heart, we hate the light and we love the darkness. And apart from Christ, we do love what is evil, no doubt. Therefore, from Adam and Eve's sin to the present, every person has been born in this radical corruption, incapable of doing what pleases God and obeying his law. But God didn't create us this way. This was inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can rescue us from this perilous state. Only the redeeming work of Christ can give us new life with a new heart and a new desire to love and obey God. The Bible passage for question and answer 14 is from Romans chapter 5, it's verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men 
because all sin. In the history section, I want to take a look the next few weeks and talk about some early Christian heresies. And I want to do this for a couple of reasons. First, it's important that we understand that from the earliest time of the church, even as the church was birthed and initially spread in the book of Acts and the New Testament was being written, false teachers came in spreading what Peter called damnable heresies. It was that way back then, and it has continued through the ages up to the present time. So faithful Christians have always found it necessary to do two things, to hold up the truth positively and to refute error. And second, as we take a look at some of the ancient heresies, it becomes evident that Solomon's words are still true. When he said in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, many of the ancient heresies have offspring still living today. Often heresies or false teachings are named after the teacher who espoused them, who spread the false teaching, and that's true in the, the subject we're going we're gonna to talk about today. Today, I want to talk about the false teaching of Martianism. Martianism, named after the heretic Martian. He was a wealthy ship owner from Pontus in Asia Minor, or present-day Turkey. Even though Martian was accepted into the church at Rome sometime around AD 135, he was excommunicated in AD 144, and he had an enormous gift that he had given to the church returned. He had given a huge sum of money to the church. When he was excommunicated, they said, take your money as well. What was his offense? Well, Martian had many theological errors, but the main root was his refusal to believe that the God of the Old Testament was the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could not believe in a God of wrath and a God of justice, which he saw all throughout the Old Testament. He had a distaste for a God who was angry with sin and angry with sinners. And therefore, Martian cut out much of the Bible. He went through the Bible and basically took out what he didn't like. And when all the cutting and pasting was completed with Martian's Bible, what was left was a God, and I say God with a a lowercase g, made in the likeness of Martian, a God who was nice and tame and full of sentimental love, a God who never judges sinners, a God who never shows wrath, and a God who never casts rebellious people into sin. So for Martian, all of the Old Testament had to go, and and literally all the Old Testament went. He could not stand the God of the Old Testament. But much of the New Testament had to go as well. In fact, Martian only accepted an abridged version of the Gospel of, of Luke and 10 of the Apostle Paul's letters as Scripture. Martian's fundamental error was in his blindness, or perhaps willful ignorance, in seeing that the God of wrath is the God of love. The God of wrath is the God of love. It's the one and the same God. And that these two seemingly incongruous truths, wrath and love, find their harmony at the cross. At the cross, God's righteous and good wrath and his love meet in perfect harmony. His righteous and good wrath is poured out on Christ, where Christ takes the punishment that sinners deserve for their sin and law-breaking. And also at the cross, God's love and mercy for sinners is revealed most gloriously because God sent Christ on the mission to lay down his life for sinners. As the most well-known verse in the Bible so clearly states it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So it was God's love that moved him to send his son, that moved him to give his son so that his son would come into the world and rescue people who were exposed to the righteous and good wrath of God. God in his wisdom has given us all the scriptures and we need all the scriptures. We need all the scriptures to show us who God is. We need all the scriptures to show us who we are and to show us our great need. We need all the Bible to show us God's wonderful provision in Christ and what we must do to be saved. We need all the Bible to show us how we can now live a life that pleases God. A.W. Tozier once said, the whole Bible makes a whole Christian. But even more important than Tozier is to understand just how Jesus viewed the scriptures. And for him, when he walked the earth in the New Testament and the Gospels, the scriptures would have been the Old Testament, would have been the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and so forth. How did Jesus view the scriptures? Well, he saw the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He saw all of it as the words of God. And therefore, we must too. If we want to be faithful, if we want to be faithful, robust, strong, sturdy, wise Christians, we must accept all that God says in the word of God as the word of God. But we still see this tendency to carve up the Bible today. It was just a couple of years ago that a very well-known author, speaker, and pastor with an enormous following took a lot of heat for his statement that Christians need to get, quote, unhitched from the Old Testament, end quote. No, we don't. We need all the Bible. We need the Old Testament and the New Testament. We need the Law and the Prophets, the Psalms, the Wisdom Literature. We need apocalyptic texts of judgment and poetry passages. We need the Gospels and the letters. We need all of the scriptures. We need all of it. We need what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, which, not surprisingly, didn't make it into Martian's Bible. Paul said, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Thanks again for listening to the Living by Faith podcast. If you found it helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all.